It's the amazing Rico Bronia podcast with your host, Evan Roberts. Hey, surprise, everybody. Welcome to a little pop-up edition of Rico Bronia. We figured we'd give you a bonus episode because our Lord and our Savior, Stephen Aloysius Jefferson Washington Cohen, on President's Day, decided to meet the media. He went down to Metcamp. He saw a couple of microphones and said, let me speak to the unwashed masses. Let me speak to the Met fans. So today we will listen to all of what Steve Cohen had to say and respond, kind of give our opinions on each of those clips. So if you haven't heard what Steve Cohen said, great. You got your one-stop shop to hear pretty much everything he had to say. If you've already heard him talk, well, guess what? You'll get to hear our reaction to what Steve Cohen discussed as spring training is well underway. So Pete, Let's kick it off. What's the first thing we're going to hear our leader talk about? Well, our leader did have a lot to say. So let's get something out of the way that just just a quick, subtle, we don't have to pontificate on it, but he had something to say about one man and one man only, Shohei Otani. Steve, how much are you already thinking about Otani's pregnancy? I'm not thinking about anything other than this season, okay? Like, that's next year, all right? Like, let's worry about this year. <laughs> That's my guy. That's what I've been saying. We'll worry about that next year. For now, there's not much to say about Shohei Otani. I'm glad that it was at least asked, but it's one of those questions where you know you're not getting an answer. Like, what do you think Steve's going to say? Yes, I go to sleep every single night, and all I could think about is Shohei Otani in a thong. It's all that's on my mind. <laughs> so, yeah, I'm not. I'm not surprised that Steve kind of swatted that away. But like, but like our last podcast, we started with Manny Machado, got that whole thing out of the way. Let's get to the real meat and potatoes of the things. Is that he is just the big thing. The big message is that he's fully committed to this team. Well, you know, listen, that's part of my consideration, and you know, I, I made a commitment to the fans, right? And it wasn't a short-term commitment. You know, when I do something, I don't do it halfway. Okay, I mean, I when I'm in, I'm all in, and uh, you know, I I don't accept mediocrity well and so i have a certain high expectations and and if it requires me to invest in this club then i'm going to do it oh that's the red meat that we love (laughs) that is the the absolute red meat that we love as med fans when he says i don't accept mediocrity if i'm gonna go i'm gonna go all the way with it kind of like the spending that we saw during this offseason it's one of those things where you want every owner in this town to say things like that. Now, ultimately, you got to win. I think we all understand that. And so we are only, I think this is really going to be the third year of Steve Cohen as the owner. 21, 22, and 23. And think about what we've seen. 21 was a disaster, and I think mistakes were made. Certainly, the hiring process wasn't ideal. They made the Javier Baez trade, which I think, looking back on it, looks like a really bad decision. And obviously last year was a very successful regular season that ended in playoff disappointment. So we're starting to learn about how Steve Cohen reacts to things and how aggressive he's going to be to help this team win. But that's the red meat we like. We're not going to go part of the way. We're going to go all of the way. I like it. Uh, and, and on another note, too, which we didn't touch on, I mean, the whole Sandy Olson's 
being not part of this team anymore, at least being removed as president is interesting. Because, again, you talked about he was very much involved in the beginning of this team. He's gone now. The Javi Baez mistake that, that we can all talk about. I mean, he's not really impactful anymore. It's a completely different team over the past few years. Well, they've also, you know, in the three years that Steve has run this team, they've had a lot of different decision makers. I mean, when you think back to first it's Sandy Alderson, <laughs> then you have the Travis, uh, the Travis, the Jared Porter guy who lasted about 30 seconds. Then you've got the Zach Scott situation that lasted about 55 seconds. I mean, they have had almost like four deciders over a three-year period between Alderson, Porter, Scott, and obviously now Billy Epler, who's beginning his second year as general manager. And who knows? I mean, (laughs) I hope Billy's around for a while because it means the Mets are having success. But so far, we have seen a lot of deciders in the short period of time that Steve's run this team. So he he did talk about the team, and he said, you know what? It's it's a pretty good-looking squad. Well, I was a little surprised that, you know, sort of the prices had gone up for players, you know, more than I would have guessed. And so, um, um, so we, um, you know, listen, it's, it's a fluid situation. And, uh, you know, we, we had some ideas on what we wanted to do. And you always have contingency plans, right? Because you never know what's going to, how it's all going to play out, right? So you need a plan A, plan B, plan C. And, but I'm really pleased at how it, turned out i mean we had, we had a lot of free agents and uh, so we had a lot of people to replace and it really turned out well i'm really excited by this team um walking around yesterday i feel gr- i mean incredible vibe here i think this is the best vibe i felt and since i've you know started this uh, being an owner and uh, so i'm excited you know this this is a good looking team the vibe is good I, the, the one thing I'll ask about the vibe is what's really the difference between the vibe of this year's team and the vibe of last year's team position player wise. It's pretty much the same vibe. It's the same guys, uh, you know, for the most part, you know, it's a similar core of guys, you know, Justin Verlander certainly gives a different vibe than Jacob deGrom. Jacob's more to himself. Verlander's the opposite. I mean, basically there are pictures of him and his wife canoodling on vacation. You know, we're never going to see that with Jacob DeGrom. So that vibe is different. Maybe maybe it's the vibe of expectations because last year, while there were expectations, they were coming off a sub-500 season. It was the reality. Now they're coming off a 101-win season. So maybe it's, and this is what I hope it is, maybe it's the vibe of we know we're good, but we have a chip on our shoulder because that's what you want after you have a playoff disappointment. I, I've talked about this before with various teams in various sports. I love teams who came really close, and then the following year, it feels like they're on a mission. The 2015 Kansas City Royals, the San Antonio Spurs, after they lost in the finals to Miami, come back the following year. Even though they flamed out in the playoffs last year, the Phoenix Suns sort of had that vibe. Like that team that's pissed about what happened to them a year before. I hope that's this Met team, and I hope that's what he means by, I like the vibe of this team. So, again, he's talked about how he likes the vibe of this team. And, by the way, it also, second year in a row that a lot of these players are coming back now. Last year, it's a new squad. Maybe some people a little timid because they don't really – I mean, they probably know each other, but they haven't worked together as much, so maybe that's the reason why. But his whole championship or bust mentality 
You know how hard it is to to get into the World Series, right? I mean, as we saw last year, right? So the only thing you can do is put yourself in position where good things can happen. Got to make the playoffs. You got to be uh, the team's got to be healthy. It's got to be rested. It's got to be raring to go. And then you let the chips fall where they may. And if you keep putting yourself there, one day we'll get there. Okay. Obviously, I'd love it sooner than later, but you know I can't control that. He he is so right about that, and that that's not. It doesn't mean we're going to be okay with losing in the divisional series or losing in the LCS, but I do agree with that mentality. I mean, it's basically what the Dodgers have done. Think about how many times the L.A. Dodgers have made the postseason in the last decade. I mean, they make the playoffs every year. I think their streaks at 10 straight years, if I'm not mistaken. Like, I think the Dodger playoff run extends as far back as, like, I know they've made it every year since 2015, and I think they made it in 2014. So this is like a crazy run that they've been on. And look how often they've won. They've only won one World Series. So I think sometimes when you fail in the postseason on a consistent basis, there's a reason. There's a kind of a weakness to your team that's caused that. But I also think that sometimes it's just bad luck. And sometimes it's good luck. So you have to get there year after year. That's why... What I want from this franchise moving forward is just to be there every single year. Now, I'd like to win a World Series. We're going to be frustrated if they don't. We're going to start turning on everybody if they don't. Listen to the way the Yankee fans talk. <laughs> and I'm not, like, ripping them for it. I get it. They're in the playoffs every single year. They haven't been to a World Series since 2009. You know, at some point, you start to say, hey, what the hell's wrong? But he is right. If you can win 100 games every single season and make the playoffs every single season, you take your chances that at one point you're going to get hot at the right time and win the whole freaking thing. So talking about, you know, winning the whole thing, there was a comment he said when he first started about the window, winning a World Series in the three- to five-year window. He seems to be not regretting it so much, but he wished he didn't say that in public, I guess, and this is his comment on that. Well, you know, if there was ever one thing I'd like to get back is that one, okay? So, uh, you know, but, you know, all kidding aside, there's nothing wrong with, like, putting out really, you know, stretch goals, right? Like, you may get there and you may not, but it's important to set goals that are high. And so, um, and then try to achieve them. And if we get there, we get there. If not, you know, we'll we'll keep trying. It's an overrated comment. I mean, (laughs) you know... What is he, I guess my question would be, what is he not doing to not achieve that goal? And if the answer someone listening right now is going to say is Carlos Correa, it's not fair because I think we trust that the Mets made a medical decision on why they ultimately didn't seal that deal. So he's trying, you know, it's not like he took over the team and is, you know, maintaining a $150 million payroll saying, yeah, we're trying to win a World Series. We hope to do it in five years. We hope to do that. I also think with this roster, and I've said this to you before, I don't think it's a short window. I think position where position player-wise, they have a really big window. I think this core of position players are going to be around for a while, and then if you develop young players like Alvarez, like Beatty, like Vientos, like Mauricio, like Ramirez, it only adds to that. It's the pitching that they're going to spend big on. It's the pitching that they're going to have to add basically every two to three years like a funnel uh, to, to kind of maintain. But position player-wise, when you look around the diamond, if they're willing to invest with Alonzo, McNeil, Lindor, potentially Beatty, Vientos, 
Alvarez behind the plate, Nimmo signed for a million years, and at least for now you've got Marte and Canna, so maybe the outfield is where you upgrade at some point. Uh, Juan Soto in two years. Um, that's window is going to remain open. It's more the pitching that every two years, three years, they're going to have to funnel with. But I don't get crazy about that comment, mainly because I had an owner make that comment before. I did. I had an owner many years ago, Mikhail Prokhorov, when he first bought the New Jersey Nets, said, I win title five years. If I don't, I get married. And he didn't get married. They didn't win a freaking title. They traded every draft pick they owned. And then he sold the team. So I've seen the worst of the worst. You know what I mean? I know Steve Cohen ain't going to sell the team. I know he's not going to disappear off the face of the earth. So the five-year thing was, he's kind of right. It's a goal. Yeah, you hope to win in five years. I hope to win in five years. Like, Pete and I don't want to be doing the Rico Brony in year four talking about how we haven't won a championship yet. No. Uh, and a couple things, too, though. Like, I'd prefer my owner go out there and make that bold statement. I, I'd, pref- I'd prefer it rather than be like, you know, we're going to do our best. Because I think you would hope that every owner wants to do their best to build a team to win a championship. I want my owner to be ballsy and go out there and make those statements. Now, one thing you said, though, is how they're going to build things. Uh, side note. Corbin Burns in two years is available. I think he's upset with Milwaukee. Let's go there. <laughs> um, but on top of that, building through the foundation of the team, which is going to be their farm system, and Cohen gets into a little bit of that more on this uh, this note because he says a lot of criticism about how he's followed the rules with and spending a ton of money, but followed the rules basically that the the other owners have set. Well, it's interesting at the owners' meeting. I, I had owners coming up and they go, "You're 100 percent right. You are far off following the rules." And so, um, you know, that was, which, which I am. And they, you know, like I said um, in, a, in a previous article, they laid down the rules and I'm following them. Um, you know, listen, in, in the end, and I think this is really important, that um, when I measure my success as an owner, obviously you want to win a World Series. But, you know, I'm also going to measure my success on building a farm system so we can create sustainability year in and year out. And um, um, it's really important to me, okay? Because I, you know, that's how you, that's how you really uh, create something that's special, right? And and you know, the farm system being innovative and doing new things and and developing players, uh, you know, taking good players and making them great. And and if if we can accomplish some of those things, and I think we can, then you know, that would be a marker of success for me, personally. Yeah. So. The, the, I'll start with the second part. We'll get to the first part because the first part I think is fascinating, which leads to a broader discussion. But yeah, they're trying to rebuild the system, which is I think a part of why I wouldn't expect big trades from this franchise. Even at the trade deadline, like we saw last year, we didn't this year. And like the off season, I, I think that they are looking at their system and saying, we are trying to build it. And in the meantime, we're going to spend a lot of money. We're going to spend a lot of money to bring in Justin Verlander, bring in Kodai Senga. But we want to build through the farm because that's what leads to sustained success. He's 100% right about that. And I think because you have an owner that's willing to spend big, which Cohen is, it makes me even more partial to the idea that I don't want to trade prospects because I can keep all my prospects and go out and spend money to add the talent that I need to fill out a roster. And then eventually, if you develop your kids, if you develop your system, you're not going to have to spend nearly as much money because 
you've already got guys filling those holes. The first thing that he said is fascinating because he's asked about the rumors that a lot of owners are pissed at him, that a lot of owners are mad at him, that he's spending as much money as as he is spending. We've even heard the Evan Drellick report from The Athletic that Major League Baseball is going to form this like financial committee to examine the issues with baseball. Steve Cohen is not, pardon my French, I'm not, I, you know what, I'm not going to say the word. I'm just going to say pee-footing around, okay? I don't want to say the word. I, I, just, I don't. He's not pee-footing around. When he said, there are owners who have plenty of money to spend. Go spend more money on your team which is what he said. And that is, let me tell you something, that's, that's a war. Those comments are a declaration of war on his fellow owner. He's right, by the way. He's saying, wait a second, the owner of the Oakland A's is a freaking billionaire. I don't want to hear you guys crying about me spending. You guys can spend more too. Go look in the mirror. Go spend more money. You want to keep me from spending? Why don't you spend? And the other thing is, for as much as he spends on this team, he pays a tax. That tax goes to the small market owners. So shut your freaking mouth. You're collecting a check off of the back of Steve Cohen. But if the owners have a a major issue with Steve spending and saying, ah, that's too much, that's too much. If I'm a player and I hear that, I'm pissed off. What are you talking about? There's no salary cap in Major League Baseball. There isn't. There's a tax. And if you spend a lot of money, you pay a tax, which Steve Cohen is doing. So any owner, no owner will publicly say Steve's spending too much because he's not spending too much. And if you're a player, you could file a grievance on that. What are you talking about? There's there's no salary cap. Our CBA says you can spend as much as you want as long as you're willing to pay a tax on it. So what Steve Cohen is doing, and, and look, you want to tell me it's not good for baseball long term? We'll see. We'll see if the owners are going to declare war on each other and basically pull a 1994 all over again and try to blow the sport up in five years and have a, and have a salary cap because you try to get a salary cap in major league baseball, make your prediction. It's not a prediction. It's a spoiler. There won't be one. And all you're going to do is blow up games. You're going to shut down the sport like you did in 1994. You're going to cause owners to hate each other and you're not actually going to get what you want. So I'm curious if Cohen's spending and the Padres spending, they're spending a lot of money too, is almost causing this future civil war that we're going to see in a couple of years. But I do have to admit something that I've denied, 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 and I'm starting to think, okay, this may be real. Uh, I I think it was an email um, that we got when we were doing one of those um, uh, podcasts where we answer emails. What's that called? Oh, a mailbag whatever it is. And somebody said, do you think teams would avoid trading with the Mets because of Steve Cohen? And I said, nah, I never really believe that. Never even believe that with the Yankees. I don't think teams would cut their nose off despite their face. I don't know if I believe that anymore. I really don't because I think when you have unnamed owners and executives saying he's going to pay for this, well, how do you make him pay? Like, what kind of ramifications is Steve Cohen going to face? Really, you can't have any ramifications against him. There's nothing you can do other than basically tell your GM, don't make a trade with him. Don't help that guy. And I think that there are owners that are vindictive enough to do that. So I'm not saying it's happened yet, but I can see that happening. That if there are owners 
who are pissed off about Cohen spending, they may try to take it out on him and the Mets by telling their general managers, put a tax on that team. Okay. You, you want to trade a good player to them. You need to expect a lot more back. Now, the reason I don't get fearful, feel fearful from that is because I don't think the Mets building over the next few years is going to be involved with major trades. I don't for the reasons I laid out. I think they're going to be so protective of the prospects that they're developing. Shohei Otani becomes available. I'm going to save you guys time on this. I would be stunned if the Mets trade for him. That doesn't mean they're not going to try to sign him during the offseason, but I do not think for the life of me, come July, I don't care how bad the Angels are, A, the Mets would be willing to trade the kind of prospects it's going to cost, and then B, yeah, I think Artie Moreno, who's one of those owners that hates Steve Cohen, would say, F that guy. I'm not trading him Shohei Otani. So, I think the the harsh words coming from other owners or you know, not really from them, but reportedly how they feel, I think could be an indication that I was wrong and that teams may try to punish Steve Cohen because there's no other way to punish him. That's the only way you could punish him. Well, it's funny because the expectations, you know, are always, what are we doing in free agency? Okay, well, worst comes to worst, we'll go to the trade deadline and what can we add? You know, last year may be a common theme. We might be getting down roughs of the world. That might be what we're going to get every trade deadline because, like you said, no one wants to trade with us. And that, to me, is why they should have, you know, again, whatever. This is the team that we have in front of us right now, which is fine. But this is why I felt like the need of you really should go out and sign an extra bat or something like that. Well, a combination, it's... Teams may not want to help the Mets, but the other aspect of this is the Mets are not going to be willing to trade big prospects. I think that's what it comes down to. Because if I'm not mistaken, we both wanted David Robertson, who they got now, obviously, in free agency. Uh, Wilson Contreras. I think they were asking for Ronnie Mauricio, and I don't think the Mets were willing to part with a prospect like that. So, yeah, I think it could be some owners saying, don't help that guy. But I think a lot of it's also going to be the Mets saying, we don't want to trade prospects. You heard what Cohen said about the system. They value it. So the Mets are balancing two things here. They don't want to trade any of their prospects, but good news, they have a lot of money. So the way they'll add those players will be through free agency and maybe taking on a bad contract. Listen, I'm all for free agency right now with Steve Cohen. He's willing to spend. And uh, one thing that has come with his job is a high celebrity. So he speaks about his high celebrity taking on this job of the owner of the New York Mets. Yeah, listen, it's part of the gig. Um, I'm comfortable with it. Uh, you know, I kind of look at it as, as, you know, I got a job to do. My job is, is to, you know, build a great ball club and, and interact with the fans. And, and it's not about me. It's about them. Okay, so I, I don't view it as, like, important to me, you know. So, you know, it's more, it's more about making them happy. He loves the celebrity. He does. I'll never forget. I was leaving Shea Stadium after Yankees Angels. That's right. It was the game that was played at Shea Stadium in April of 1998 when the beam fell down at Yankee Stadium. So they had to move a game to Shea Stadium. So the Yankees played the Angels during the day. Darrell hit a home run. I was at that game. David Wells started for the Yankees. And then that night, the Mets played the Cubs. Very proud of this. I didn't have school that day. I forget the holiday. It was some kind of holiday. And I went to both. I went to Yankees Angels during the day. I went to Mets Cubs at night. And it was my one interaction with George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner was leaving Shea Stadium after the Yankee win. 
and he was being mobbed like Elvis. I mean, there were hordes of people around George Steinbrenner. And I, being the smart aleck 15-year-old that I was, screamed, let's go Mets. And he kind of looked at me and smiled. You know, he had a nice little moment there. But you could see George loved the fame. He loved being Santa Claus to Yankee fans. And I do think Steve Cohen has that in him. Not saying he's Steinbrenner, but I do think he's got a little glimmer in his eye when Met fans thank him and adore him and you know chant his name. He loves it. He absolutely loves it. It, it can turn bad at some point. I warn him. Eventually, you have to win. <laughs> and I think he knows that. But right now, he is still in that honeymoon phase as owner of the New York Mets. Well, he gets more into the importance of the fans and why it's, it's really all about them. Well, I can't speak for the other owners, but, uh, you know, I, I, I've always tried to, since I've owned the team, to find ways to engage with the fans, right? Whether it's taking a selfie or, you know, Twitter or, you know, my wife goes up to the upper deck every game she's at and gives out tickets to a family that, and moves them down to the front row. It's our way of interacting. And, you know, it doesn't take much, right? I mean, we're not doing that much yet. It means a lot. And so, you know, it's back to realizing that without the fans and their excitement and engagement, you know, there's no, there's no, there's no Mets, right? So you got to keep that in mind. They're important to us. God, it's just so easy. <laughs> He's right. <laughs> it, it's so freaking easy. How come owners in this town don't understand that? You know, it's, it ain't that freaking complicated. His wife is going into the upper deck, basically saying, go sit in lower level seats. Can you imagine James Dolan doing that? Imagine Dolan just walking through the upper deck at Madison Square Garden, upper deck, whatever they call it, the old blue seats, and saying, hey, why don't you go sit courtside for the Nick game? Why don't you go sit right near the goal for the Ranger game? Uh, a lot of owners in New York should just take note on this. It's easy. Now, again, I, I feel like I have to say this 50 times in a row. They have to win. Okay. Winning is the is the key to all of this. But in the meantime, selfies, tweets, and giving away free tickets, it doesn't hurt. And finally, the last part of this is what he's building as far as the team chemistry, you know, as far as fan base goes, but it's it's his closeness with the players, unlike some other owners that we know in the past. It's, he's treating them almost like family, and this is his take on this. Well, you know, listen, they're people, right? And and just like at point seventy two, you know, I, I care about my people. And and you know, other people have said, eh, you shouldn't get that close to the players and uh, you know, I would do it differently. And I don't agree with that. Um I think there's I think it's important to have a personal touch. Uh I think that matters. It shows you care. And, you know, my wife feels the same way. And so it's just the way we are. And I'm gonna do it my way. So uh and it works for me. It's worked in the past, and I'm going to keep doing it. My only issue with this, I got, a, I got a couple of things that are potential issues. First of all, I've heard rumors that Jacob DeGrom had no interest in being, you know, friendly with the Coens, and maybe that made it easier for the Mets to let him go because there wasn't a personal touch between Cohen and DeGrom, which to me, it doesn't matter. Like, your decisions need to be made on what helps you the most on the field. Same thing. If you do have a great relationship with a guy and they suck, now what are, what are you going to do? Not trade them? <laughs> what are you going to do? Not want to get rid of them? So 
I don't know. I, I can't say that's necessarily a bad thing to have a good relationship with players. But at the end of the day, it's a business, man. At the end of the day, you have to perform. And if you don't perform in this town, you got to make business decisions such as getting rid of somebody. I don't necessarily want a guy to sign because they had a good dinner with Steve and Alex Cohen. I'm not saying that's happened yet. I don't think Justin Verlander signed because they had a good dinner. I think they signed because the guy won the Cy Young last year and the Mets offered him a boatload of money. But I don't know. I'm not sure what the right answer is when it comes to the personal touch with a roster. Well, let me let me put ask you a question, all right? We he seems like he's tight with the team. It sounds like it's all fun and games or whatnot. Right now, you said it wasn't really close to Jacob Degrom, but the next big piece on our on our puzzle is basically Pete Alonso, right? Mm-hmm. You know, he could be all fun and games, but we just saw Cor- Corbin Burns basically call out his uh, his franchise, saying we went to arbitration and they dogged the hell out of me. They basically told me the worst about me, and it's kind of tough to take the way that they didn't have to say some things, but they did because I understand their goal is to try to cheap me out of a couple hundred thousand dollars here and there. Like I know Steve Cohen's not going to be the guy to do that, but still if, if and when they get to an arbitration case or they have to get to a point where they don't, don't want to give him top money that he wants, there's going to be Steve. You're the guy who's paying the bill, right? Yeah. I think when it comes to arbitration, you got to be smart. And I've always wondered this. If you're in a fight over $800,000 with a guy that you want on your team long-term. It ain't worth the fight. It just isn't. You know, I know this is the worst comparison ever, but I'll give it to you anyway. The other day when Tiger Woods was forced to apologize for something he he didn't need to apologize for. He made a freaking joke with a buddy of his in handing him the, the box of tampons because he outdrove him. My point on the air wasn't Tiger needed to apologize. My point on the air was sometimes it's not worth fighting. You know, sometimes just apologize. And so that was my view. Just, yeah, freaking apologize. Not because you should, not because he needed to, but because why deal with the backlash? It's not worth it. And I, we got a caller right after that said, Evan, you sound like a married man. Yeah. 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 You're right. There are certain fights that could get worse with your wife. And I think to myself, what? Why the hell would I fight over this? This ain't worth it. There could be another fight down the road where I say, no, 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 honey, I am going to Mets Cardinals on a Tuesday night. But why am I going to fight with her about who did this with the laundry? Take your L and move on. It ain't a big deal. Live to fight another day. So in Tiger Woods' case, of course it was foolish that he had to apologize for that joke. We all know that. That's not my point. I'm just saying, just give them what they want and move on. Because sometimes it ain't worth fighting. So if you have a player on your baseball team, I'm going back there, who you want on your team long-term, and you're fighting over $800,000 in arbitration, think to yourself, is this worth it? So what the Mets did really wisely with Pete Alonso in his second to last year of arbitration is they made a good deal. They made a deal. It never went to trial. Pete got his money. He seems pretty happy. You don't want to fight over it. Now, we saw this with Aaron Judge at the end of the day. Can you overcome it? Yeah, obviously. If at the end of the day, when it's all on the table in free agency, if you outbid everybody else, you're probably going to get the guy. 
But in the case of Pete Alonso, there's no point of effing him over in the meantime. It's just stupid. So what the Brewers did was foolish, but they're also not a big market team. Maybe to them, $800,000 is a big deal. I don't know. But with Pete, here's what I think I know about Steve Cohen. I think he's a businessman. And I think he's going to make a business decision. I think they made, I, I truly do, as much as I bring up uh, the, the DeGrom-Cohen non-relationship, I think it was pretty simple with why they let him go. They didn't think it was a good business decision. That's it. They, they saw Jacob DeGrom. They said, we're willing to go three years and pay him a lot of money, but we're not going to go much further. They didn't think about franchise icon, maybe, as much as I did and you did. And I think it's going to be the same thing with Pete Alonso. And what scares me a little bit about that is something we've talked about on this pod, but we don't make a big deal of. We talk about it and we say, ah, yeah, it's stupid. And that's how the war treats him. He doesn't have a high war, right? That scares me sometimes because you don't know what a front office is looking at. So is this front office viewing Pete Alonso the way that stat views him, which is good? but not great. I I don't know. And and that's why I always say this to my dad, because he hates these new stats, hates it. And I said, but here's the problem. Front offices look at it. So we could ignore it as much as we want because we don't like it. But if the teams we root for are judging decisions based on these stats, then maybe we should know these stats. Otherwise, we're not going to have any idea why they're judging players. Why is this guy here, but that guy not here? So I think Pete is criminally underrated when it comes to war. That's my opinion. What does Billy Epler think? What is he going to tell Steve Cohen? When push comes to shove and they are talking about a contract, do they view Pete Alonzo as strictly a number? Or do they view him as better than that number and also a lifelong Met? A guy who has a chance to own every record in the history of this franchise when it comes to position players. I don't know. And that's the part that's a little scary in thinking about Pete Alonzo and his future on this team. So the one thing I've, 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 you read the tea leaves, right? You saw Lindor, obviously they've made, they made a huge commitment to, and that was because they traded assets and they felt that they needed to make a splash. Okay, fine. Nimmo, they signed to a long-term deal. Diaz, I guess a longer, long-term deal for a closer five years, pretty solid, but that's, basically what they have on the plate right now. I mean, the p- starting pitching, I mean, think about Verlander and Scherzer. It's like two-year deals, two, three-year deals tops. Oh, yeah. Do you see them – first of all, two questions. A, do you ever see them committing long-term to a real ace, like a Garrett Cole type or whatever it is? And B, can you see yourself or see them eventually say, you know what? Pete, if you want to take the, we, we're not going to commit this long of money. We're going to try to pre- keep on bringing up prospects. We're going to bring up prospects. We'll commit to somebody, a first baseman that's, you know, for two years, maybe we'll give him 50 mil over 50 to 60 mil for two years, but we're not going to do a long-term contract of for a first baseman. I, I don't know how they view Pete. I mean, if they view him the way I was describing, then they're not going to give him a nine-year contract. Like you just mentioned Brandon Nimmo and how they took care of him. Let's go back to this stack, because I do think it matters. Brandon Nemo had a higher war by a lot than Pete Alonso. It wasn't even close. 
So if you're valuing a player based on that, Brandon Nemo's better. He is. But in the open market, what's Pete Alonso going to demand? He's going to demand more than what Brandon Nemo just got. You know, last year, and we watched every game of every every moment the Mets had last year. Would you agree that Jeff McNeil, Francisco Lindor, Max Scherzer, and Brandon Nimmo were all more valuable players and brought more wins to the Mets than Pete Alonso? Because according to baseball reference, that's what the war told them. So if this is a strict numbers game, then Pete's going to struggle getting that kind of contract from the Mets. If Steve Cohen says, look, I do have some emotion in this business and Pete sells a lot of jerseys and he's the face of the team and LFGM, then maybe they will give him more than what the numbers would indicate. But I don't want to overthink the Alonzo stuff because he does have two more years left. Like he's got a whole year this year with the team. He's got next year with this team. And if he gets to free agency, which I hope he does, and I hope they lock him up at the end of this year or even now, like next week, I think we worry about it then. But like I said with Manny Machado and with Shohei Otani, that's a year from now. We worry about it then. In Pete Alonso's case, that's two years from now. We worry about it then. And keep this in mind. The year Pete Alonso's a free agent, Juan Soto's a free agent. And if the Mets are going hard after Juan Soto, we're all fantasizing about that, and they prioritize Juan Soto as a free agent, then who knows where Pete ends up? Then maybe he does become the first baseman for the New York Yankees. I don't know. I use that as an example just to piss you off because you never know. Yeah, that's kind of dirty. That that was unnecessary right now. We don't. But when does do Anthony that. Rizzo's contract run up? Doesn't. Yeah, I mean, it's basically the same thing. Yeah, they get like a two-year deal out of that. I mean, that's 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 the thing is, though, well, maybe they'll bring him into the, the Mets. I mean, that, that's that's but that's the, the talking point is, to me, they keep on with the free agents. It's always a two-year deal with a third-year opt-out. Two-year deal, three-year opt-out. Well, that, a little but bit that's, longer. But, but that's, that's for pitchers. And I think the, the thinking behind what they've done recently is they don't have top-line pitching prospects. You know, even David Peterson and Tyler McGill, not that the top-line pitching prospects – aren't even going to be in the rotation this year. So I think when you we've heard about Steve spending big until the kids are ready, I think it's a lot of it is I need to fill out a pitching staff. I mean, what is this staff unless they're buying guys? And I think with pitchers, especially at the advanced age of Justin Verlander and Max Scherzer, it only makes sense to get them on shorter term deals. This reminds me a little bit of the Cubs uh, from six, seven years ago, where they had such a great group of position players, Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, Javi Baez, and they bought the pitching. They went out and said, okay, we got all these position players. Let's go buy some pitching. And that's what they've done. And we pointed this out uh, a few months ago during one of the offseason pods when we were looking ahead to all the pitchers that are available over the next couple of years. There are a lot of really good pitchers. Like Max Scherzer can opt out at the end of this year. And I hope he does, because it means he had a great year. So not looking for him to leave, but Scherzer has a great year. He's going to opt out. He's a businessman. Well, guess what? Luis Severino could have a great this year, great year this year. Julio Urias could have a great year this year. Those are just a couple of names of guys who become available in a year from now. Max Fried, you mentioned Corbin Burns, Brandon Woodruff, Shane Bieber. Like, there's a lot of freaking options, but that's a year from now. To quote the first clip we played from Steve Cohen, I'm not thinking about next year. But the bottom line is this. We are still in that honeymoon phase with our beautiful leader, Steve Cohen. 
We hope you enjoyed a little pop-up edition of Rico Bronia. We'll be, we'll be, we will be back for the Wednesday night into Thursday morning edition. It usually drops late Wednesday night. Maybe you're downloading it Thursday morning in which we examine the roster of this team and we make our official predictions right before games begin in spring training of what this 26-man roster will indeed look like. Thank you for listening to a surprise edition of Rico Bronia. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Rico Bronia podcast. It's amazing, isn't it? Make sure you download it now to keep it on you at all times.